Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Hardwood Handicappers, VEASAN's premier NBA betting podcast. Here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome in. Early edition of the Hardwood Handicappers podcast. Kelly Vidlin along later in the week. we got a, uh, a short episode on tap for you today, but some good information that's out there regarding the trade deadline as we are getting closer and closer to that. Uh, Shamshrani with a pretty good write-up about some names that could potentially be on the move, so we'll sift through some of those contests. We have some line moves on some futures that we've discussed in previous episodes that we want to update as well, and uh, maybe take a look at some other stuff around the NBA. That would include, uh, well, let's just say, some updates on some teams and the situations uh, that they are in. But we begin every single episode the same way, so let's get through some of these headlines. Hardwood Headlines. All right, so headlines are going to take a little bit of a different approach uh, because we're going to sift through one article because there's not really much to update here. It's been a, a quiet weekend, at least in terms of news, in the NBA, but we do have some reports on what the NBA trade de- uh, trade deadline could start to look like. So this is from the Athletic and Shamsharanya, and what he's hearing about some of the players um, that could potentially be attractive trade candidates for some of the teams that are out there in the association. So let's start at the top um, and walking through what one of the bigger names, figuratively and literally is going to be out there on the trade market, and that would be Jakob Pertl, center for the San Antonio Spurs. Apparently, teams like the Raptors and Celtics have reached out to the San Antonio Spurs about acquiring Jakob Pertl. So that's interesting for multiple reasons, right? So first off, for the Boston Celtics, right? let's start with them. Uh, Robert Williams, of course, working his way back from injury, has not looked exactly like Robert Williams, but it's also pretty early uh, in his time back here from a knee injury. So you don't want to really freak out about maybe some minimal returns when it comes to Robert Williams and what he brings to the table for the Boston Celtics. Uh, But it is pretty interesting that the Celtics would be named there. And look, they don't have a ton of true center depth, the Boston Celtics. But it's not surprising that they're looking for a center. It's that that they're looking to acquire the premier center on the trading market and the the center who would probably garner the most money in free agency this offseason should he hit free agency, which he will. Uh, in Jakob Pertl, right? The, the Spurs allegedly have a uh, an extension on the table for him, which he has declined to sign. He can get more money in the offseason, but all the rumblings, according to Shams and others, are that Pertl wants to uh, walk because he just wants to compete, that he actually likes the organization, but he wants to compete for a championship. That's not happening anytime soon. So 
why that sticks out is because you do have a premier starting center, in theory, and Robert Williams, who's recovering still and making his way back. But then all of a sudden, you're going to trade assets to go get another center who you could very much argue should be your starting center in Jakob Pertl. So that just makes this dynamic pretty interesting in, in that that dynamic between him and Robert Williams and what it means. Now, as far as the minimal returns for Robert Williams, it's all still positive for him, by the way. Uh, when he's on the floor, increase the net rating by 2.9 points per 100 possessions, according to Cleaning the Glass, uh, but not as impactful defensively. Last year, of course, by far, Robert Williams' best defensive year for the Boston Celtics. Their defensive rating improved by 4.8 points per 100 possessions when he was on the floor, compared to just 0.7 this season. So that's a little bit of a uh, right difference uh, when it comes to what he does on the defensive end of the floor, the impact uh, that he has. In terms of blocks, I mean, he's not in line with what he's had before. It's still relatively high, but still, if you look at his block rate, uh, only 3% flat this year for Robert Williams. That's in comparison with 3.7% last year, 4.7% in 52 games the year before that, and then over 4.8% in the two years prior to that. And that was an obviously a much smaller sample size, which was his second and first year in the NBA. And from a uh, standpoint of fouling, I mean, he's, he's been pretty solid. His rebounding's pretty much in line with where he's been throughout his career. But there's not really that solid impact. I mean, you can kind of see it when you watch the Celtics uh, with your own eyes. Now, again, why like that is intriguing because the Celtics, if they were to go and acquire Jakob Pertl, that gives them two bona fide starting centers. Like That's, in, that's some incredible depth when it comes to um, the center position. And the league, as we know, is moving farther and farther away from centers uh, as a whole. Uh, but also, too, I mean, Jakob Pertl, in terms of what he does for a team um, on both ends of the floor, is pretty solid. He's always been a very good defender, but he adds a little bit more offensively, I think, than Robert Williams uh, Robert Williams does. And what that would mean for Boston, because I think if you look at Jakob Pertl's numbers in terms of rebounding, he's always been a tremendous offensive rebounder. That would give them something that they don't really too, have too much of. Uh, this year, individual offensive rebounding rate, 12.8%. Uh, that is in the 88th percentile of centers. He's not the shot blocker that Robert Williams is, but his upside on offense uh, evens out what he doesn't offer on defense. And again, he's still a very good defensive center. to be a really good pickup for the Boston Celtics. So I, I think it's more interesting from a dynamic standpoint than anything else. And I do think that does solidify their spot on top of the Eastern Conference because we do know that from an offensive standpoint, they're going to be pretty damn good. Uh, Jalen, excuse me, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum the other night with 51 points against the Charlotte Hornets looked absolutely tremendous. Still looks like an MVP candidate. And the other, the other interesting team, of course, sticking with Jakob Pertl, the teams that are flowing around him, are the Toronto Raptors. And it's not because he is a former Toronto Raptor. Um, it is because the Raptors are considered to be potential sellers. Right? We talked about this at the beginning of the beginning episode of last week. Right? where it was the Toronto Raptors being bantied about as maybe a team that was looking to sell. And Shams even points out in his article, um, he doesn't tie them together. He's just got this like broken down by team in terms of what he's hearing. But he points out that Van Vliet is one of the team, one of the names that is flown, uh, thrown out there by Toronto to sell. Now, Van Vliet is not very good this year. His numbers across the board are down. So losing Fred Van Vliet, but then acquiring Jakob Pertl would not be the biggest like trade-off in the world in that it wouldn't be a negative loss. It would actually be a net positive uh, for a negative loss, a net loss for the Toronto Raptors. It would actually be a net positive because Pirtle and what he brings to the table compared to what Van Vliet has done this year um, would be a positive for them. Having said that, the guard play is not tremendous for the Toronto Raptors. 
and losing another ball handler in an offense that, in terms of half-court offense, is one of the worst in the NBA. It's not like Fred Van Vliet's like the most amazing shot creator in the world, but I would assume losing him does not help. To add a center, I'm not sure if I really love it if you're Toronto, right? Like, if you're watching this team, I'm not sure we're watching them and going, I mean, they do need a center like Jakob Pertl. He would be perfect for them. But I don't think that's what's, like, going to push them over the top. And, yes, they have started to turn things around. They still have their flaws. As I mentioned, the half-court offense isn't getting any better. Scotty Barnes has these weird ebbs and flows to his game. I mean, at the end of the New York Knicks game of regulation, I should say, uh, he's the one that R.J. Barrett blows by to get the dunk with six-tenths of a second left to go to force overtime in that matchup, right? Barnes on both ends of the floor has been much lesser, like performing at a much lesser degree uh, this year than he has last year. And he's had those weird moments defensively in, in any game you can watch where he just gets blown by. And like, I mean, just blown by where he's not, I don't even know. I don't want to say, I never want to question guys' efforts. You don't want to say he's not putting any effort in. But it does look, on, on certain possessions, it does look Donovan Mitchell-esque. We will put it like that. There are certain possessions where he looks locked in defensively, and he's great, and he's moving with his opponent, and he's flipping his hips with ease and all that kind of stuff. And then there's possessions like, and R.J. Barrett got him a couple of times in that game, where Barrett just takes the ball with his left hand and goes left and just blows right by him, gets to the bucket, and he did it on that game-tying basket. So anyway, that's the quick aside on Toronto. Sorry, I got lost in the weeds there for a second. But regardless, obviously I think between the two, Jakob Pertl has more of an impact on the Boston Celtics. And from Toronto's perspective, I don't think that necessarily, like we talked about last week, selling on Toronto personally, right? And from the betting perspective, uh, under on a win total, no on the playoffs. We brought that up with Kelly. I wouldn't necessarily steer away from it, but I just don't know what the game plan now is for Toronto as we're getting conflicting reports of, they want to sell. Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Vliet might be on the table to now maybe it's just Fred Van Vliet and Jakob Pertl could be a guy that they want to acquire. So I think we goes back to last week when we talked about it. There is a risk in trying to act on some of these rumors because you could get ahead of some of these line moves and some of these future adjustments, but you're also gambling. You're also gambling that the information you're getting is true and positive and, and right, and that might not necessarily be the case. So Jakob Pertl, the big name. Toronto Raptors and Boston Celtics, the two teams that Shams Rani has pointed out, uh, are the ones to keep an eye on. It's also worth pointing out that along with the Spurs, as Shams put, uh, the Charlotte Hornets are an organization that many across the league are keeping an eye on as a potential seller at the trade deadline. The names to keep an eye on, and these are some impactful names that can really help some title contenders. Terry Rozier, Mason Plumley, Jalen McDaniels, and Kelly Oubre among the players expected to receive interest in potential deals. Oubre, of course, injured. Uh, the Hornets' leading scorer. That could really help them out. And here's the thing, too, for Charlotte. At this point right now, it's all about Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson, and trying to get to the top of that thing. Because you didn't mean to tank, right? Uh, you did not mean to tank in any way, shape, or form. You came into this thinking you were going to be much more competitive, but that is not the case right now. And you need to kind of steer into this because your team is nowhere near competing for an NBA Finals. And the way you do this now is building a core around the young pieces that you have, or young piece, and now it'd be LaMelo Ball. And the way you do that is maximizing your opportunity at getting a Victor Wembanyama or second best Scoot Henderson, if that's going to be the case. So I think that out of all of these teams that we're looking at, the Charlotte Hornets are probably the team that's really going to full-on sell here at this point. And it does look like the San Antonio Spurs are only going to be interested in shipping off Jakob Pertl. And Pertl's, I think I mentioned this at the top, but just also worth reiterating that he is going to be a free agent at the end of this year. 
and that ties into the thought process with the San Antonio Spurs, who do like Pirtle and apparently do want to keep him. So keep an eye on those names. Tara Zier, Mason Plumlee, Jalen McDaniels, Kelly Oubre. From a future standpoint, like betting against Charlotte in any way, shape, or form, unless you unless you find somewhere that has some pretty big prices that you're willing to lay on Charlotte to not make the playoffs. Um, adjusted win total markets are always out there. Right now over at DraftKings and other spots, I couldn't find an adjusted win total on Charlotte. But that's maybe worth looking at under because I think this team is really, I mean, that's the base core of its team outside of Gordon Hayward. That is going to be a vast majority of this team's production. If they succeed in selling off all of those pieces, that is a vast majority of their current production that they're going to be selling off and trying to get rid of. So the um, Charlotte Hornets, a name to keep an eye on right there. Uh, Right now, this is from Shams, quote, San Antonio Charlotte viewed as two of the NBA's assured sellers in the market. Uh, Houston Rockets and Eric Gordon have also been a trade candidate, as Shams points out here. Um, but we don't even know if that's going to work. And Gordon's not really a needle mover, but anybody who needs 3 and D type player, a little bit smaller on that end of the floor. But a guy who can hit threes, obviously, play some defense a little bit longer in the tooth. Gordon is a name that has been tied to uh, the Los Angeles Lakers, of course. And uh, as Shams notes, just like Tim Bontemps, as we said, right, the Raptors could decide, you know, it seems they have not really decided what they fully want to do. It seems that Fred Van Vliet is the only constant name that is out there in reading reports outside of just Sham Sharanya and Tim Bontemps. Uh, but outside of that, what they want to do with the rest of their team remains up in the air. All right, some other names and teams that have been thrown out there that I think we can probably act on, maybe. I want to talk about the Utah Jazz. So the Utah Jazz are pretty interesting. So the Jazz, um, as Sharanya puts in his report, have been the most engaged team recently on a potential uh, John Collins trade. Yes, the Utah Jazz acquiring John Collins. So we, including myself and everybody else, all expected the Utah Jazz to be sellers at the trade deadline. Uh, that has not been the case. They um, they have not been. And well, look, I shouldn't say because I'm speaking like that, like that has been, that is in the now. We are approaching the trade deadline and they have no given no indication that they are going to sell, at least it seems. And according to this piece from Sharanya, it looks like maybe they're trying to buy on certain guys like a John Collins and that does make it interesting because the Jazz, out of all of the teams that got off to those hot starts that we expected to be tanking teams, the Jazz are the ones who have fallen back down to earth the most. Uh, they are flirting with the outside of the play-in of the Western Conference. They are 23-24, and 4-6 uh, and six in their last 10, uh, losing, of course, uh, losing record over a larger sample size for the Utah Jazz, despite a positive point differential, by the way. That's always a good indicator uh, for a team like that. I would say solidly the eighth seed in the Western Conference. Remember, top 10 get in. But only a half game separate them and the Oklahoma City Thunder at 11, who we'll get to momentarily. Um, and only a full game separates them and Phoenix. And a one and a half games separated them and Los Angeles, the Lakers. Um, so you could say that they're solidly at eight, but it's not really a solid ground. And I'd also say, too, I mean, as you look at the Western Conference as a whole, they're also only a game out, the Utah Jazz are two games, I should say, of the fifth seed, the Dallas Mavericks. So uh, this is giving you a sense of what the West looks like. But it also gives you a sense of where the Jazz see things, where they could post a losing record and, of course, get into maybe a play-in type situation. Again, it all depends on what this organization wants to do. I get that this has been a pretty solid season for Utah. Me, personally, I am shocked to hear that they are going to be a, a buyer, uh, potentially, of a guy like John Collins to raise their floor. Collin, and like if they trade Collins Sexton, maybe. I don't know. I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, it seems like they like him. and. I'll double check. I believe they signed Colin Sexton to an extension or extension. I think they have a long-term deal uh, with Colin Sexton. Regardless, I typed in Colin extension. 
Um, Colin Sexton is what I mean. Yeah, it's a four. It's uh oh no 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 no. Excuse me, excuse me. Uh, yes, they, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They got Colin Sexton extended. Um, the joy of live podcasting, where I forget because I'm going off on a tangent. Regardless, so the Utah Jazz could potentially be buyers at a deadline. Now, why this matters, why I wanted to bring this up is if you look at it from a to make the playoffs standpoint for the Utah Jazz. Uh, the market's been kind of all over the place. Circa actually did just add themselves to the fray in terms of teams to make the playoffs. There are some yes nos on certain teams to make the playoffs. Um, and this is not a shot of Circa. This, it, I just I wish these books would like hang yes nos on every team. Um, just makes it interesting. So let's see playoffs. Yes no. Utah Jazz over at Circa Sports. Right now, yes, plus 220, no, minus 260. Now, again, this isn't a market like participate in the West play-in, which we've talked about a couple of times here. And the Utah Jazz right now are just plus 110 to participate in the West play-in. Again, just finishing in that 7 to 10 range and getting into that that little tournament. It's all you got to do. I think that if you're talking about that price at plus 110, that is something that is worth investing in right now if you feel like John Collins is going to be acquired by the Utah Jazz. That's going to shift to an odds-on favorite, um, a you know, minus price, I should say, if they are indeed going to be in the West play-in, uh, the Utah Jazz, if they're going to acquire John Collins. Because that's a really good piece, obviously. Collins fits really uh, nicely for them to give them some depth and some scoring and a little bit more creation. I would argue that maybe, you know, if you look at like what this team like really desperately needs, if they're looking to add strengths, um, maybe a little bit more in the backcourt to help up, like a, to help out a Jordan Clarkson type. But regardless, it does seem that they are intent on acquiring some youngish talent to go around with this core that they got. And uh, John Collins seems to be potentially on their radar, which obviously means that the Atlanta Hawks are a team that potentially could be looking to sell off some pieces and get some draft capital back. And I don't think that's really a big deal. The Hawks have kind of fallen apart. Uh, I don't think I'm going to get that division bet on them to win uh, that Southeast division because everything's kind of been really poor for the Atlanta Hawks. But selling John Collins is not going to really change much for that team given all of the things that have gone wrong for them. And you still have DeJounte Murray. You still have Trey Young. Big win over Miami, so that kind of helps uh, when it comes to the division and kind of holding on by a thread, given how poorly they've played up to this point. But regardless, it does seem that John Collins, yet again, rumored to be moving, and that the Utah Jazz have been amongst the teams interested in Collins. The others that have been interested, by the way, uh, the Washington Wizards have been interested in John Collins, reportedly. So again, when you're talking about these markets to participate in play-in tournaments, uh, the Washington Wizards right now, you can find them at plus 190 over at DraftKings to participate in the East play-in. Not a team that I'd really like to back financially in a long-term standpoint, but very much worth noting when it comes to John Collins and his services. Uh, One bet I know I'm going to lose, this ties into another team that Shams mentions in his piece, the Detroit Pistons. Um, There's a bunch of teams, allegedly, According to Shams, that have been calling the Pistons about uh, Bojan Bogdanovic, Lakers, Pelicans, Bucks, Cavs, and Mavericks are among the teams that have allegedly called Bogdanovic. Uh, the Mavericks, again, another just catch-and-shoot three-point shooter <laughs> for Luka Doncic to throw the ball to. Uh, an incredible team makeup. One dude, one creator, and just have a whole bunch of dudes around him that are just sitting there ready with their hands up to catch a ball and shoot it. Um, it's an interesting makeup, but Doncic is that freaking awesome. So Raptors, Lakers, Pelicans, Bucks, Cleveland Cavaliers, and Dallas Mavericks. Again, Raptors, another interesting name uh, because, right, as we talked about, conflicts with what we talked about last week and the initial indication that the Raptors potentially are going to want to buy. And why that matters too here again is, according to Shams, the price would be an unprotected first-round pick for Detroit to ship off Bogdanovich. 
And again, that's Detroit, or excuse me, that's Toronto spending assets, right? Sniffing around a Yaka Pertle, sniffing around a Bojan Bogdanovic. Uh, and yet reports are that the league is watching because they want to see if they're going to sell. It, those are like everything is conflicting around Toronto. So everything we talked about last week, kind of eh. But I wanted to focus on one team that has been named here, and that would be the Los Angeles Lakers. So the Lakers, of course, as we have talked about, they've been named for a couple of guys. You can kind of see a theme with the guys that they're looking for. Uh, Bogdanovich, Eric Gordon, uh, others, right? Some shooting, some defense. They're looking for both of those things along the perimeter. Uh, Bogdanovich, not so much the best perimeter defender anymore, uh, but still a guy who can play some sound defense, especially in a team setting, and shoot the ball and hit catch and shoot threes, which would fit next to Anthony, excuse me, uh, to LeBron James. And Anthony Davis is coming back. And I think that's the interesting factor about what's going on with the Los Angeles Lakers and this trade deadline and some of the pieces that are thrown out there and whether or not they're going to ship off those first-round picks that we keep talking about or the other assets that they have to go and acquire a piece like Bojan Bogdanovic. Again, we're not looking at these teams to try to find some way to bet them to win the NBA Finals. We're looking for these teams to bet them in different NBA markets. So, for example... The Lakers, again, to make the playoffs, yes, plus 395 over at Circa. Uh, I don't believe DraftKings yet. DraftKings doesn't have it listed, so Circa's got it, but plus 395 to make the playoffs. A Lakers team that, as we mentioned, we were looking at the overall standings of the Western Conference. Right now, just one and a half games back from the Portland Trailblazers, who control the 10th seed, the Timberwolves, who control the 9th seed, and the Jazz, who control the 8th seed. Again, all those game, all those teams that I just mentioned, those three, uh, are a game and a half ahead of the Los Angeles Lakers, it's not that hard of a hill to climb for the Lakers just to make it into the play-in. And then, of course, you're winning competition against... And, and I mean, look at what the play-in might entail. That's the other part about this West. This Western Conference looks so weak right now. And so when you look at this thing as a whole and what the Lakers would have to accomplish, making it back into the play-in, again, making up a game uh, and a half over the course of uh, just about 40 games for the Los Angeles Lakers, actually just under that, 38, um making up a game and a half to get into those four seeds, one of those four seeds. And on top of that, when you get there, you would just have to win games. I mean, theoretically, some of the teams that would be in there, Utah, Minnesota, Portland, Phoenix. If Phoenix makes it back, Phoenix would be a pretty big threat if they have Devin Booker back and they're a fully healthy squad, potentially. Um that is not, or if the Sacramento Kings fall back down to earth, because the Kings right now, they have a hearty lead over the seventh seed Warriors, but it's three games with, again, about 38 play, 38 games left to play. It is not the most uh, shocking thing in the world if they do fall back down to earth and get there. If we're, again, looking for future bets to make, if we're going back to what we talked about at the beginning of last week with LeBron making the comments that he did and essentially calling out the Lakers' front office, and on top of that, hearing rumors that the Lakers are sniffing around a Boyan McDonavich type and knowing that Anthony Davis is coming back at the beginning of February. I might, be, I might get talked into betting the Los Angeles Lakers a plus 395 to make it into the playoffs. Or if, again, you're in a jurisdiction that has this, they are plus 140 to participate in the West play-in. Obviously, from an odds perspective, that is the most likely scenario for the Los Angeles Lakers and I would say that is the one that I if if I had the option to invest in that that is something that I think is very much worth investing in at plus 140 for the Lakers because you know Anthony Davis is coming back and there's a pretty good shot that they could go ahead and acquire some of these pieces uh, that are being banted about and they'd be helpful pieces uh, at that 
A couple of other names worth mentioning. As I mentioned, you know, he, he writes about the Lakers and Davis and essentially what they were looking for here and that they're trying to add maybe potentially something for the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, the other name, the last name that I, th- I wanted to mention uh, that are that is potentially being thrown out there, uh, Mike Conley. So Mike Conley could potentially be on the move for Utah. Again, this would be one of those where, kind of like we talked about with Toronto, like if they were to get John Collins but then flip Mike Conley, or excuse me, if they were to get Jakob Pertl but then to flip Fred Van Vliet, that would be a net positive because Van Vliet hasn't really been that productive this year. And Jakob Pertl's a very solid starting center in the NBA that would be uh, very popular on the free agent market this coming offseason. Um, Mike Conley is being bantied about as a potential piece that is uh, you know, out there. The teams that have allegedly been expressing interest, according to Sham Charanya, have been the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Clippers. And he also notes in this piece simultaneously that John Wall, <clears throat> excuse me, that John Wall, man, <laughs> got choked up at the thought of the Clippers getting Mike Conley, um, that John Wall could potentially be on the move. I don't know what that deal would be. Wall has not really been the piece that they expected him to be. He's out now with injury, too, for the Clippers, uh, which, again, it's a minimal loss from an injury standpoint, and uh, I don't think really impacts him on a night-to-night basis. But Mike Conley going to Los Angeles would be pretty dang good piece for that team to add. Again, they're just looking to acquire some point guard depth uh, because that's been their weakest position in this era and for a really long time. Um, John Wall, as I mentioned, has not been that piece, and Mike Conley fits nicely with them. A defensive guard who can catch and shoot with some of the best in the NBA when he's really on. He would essentially be like a... I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he'd be a better Reggie Jackson. He'd just be like... He'd actually be a better defensive Reggie Jackson-type player. Uh, yes, Reggie... Mike, I'm not comparing Mike Conley to Reggie Jackson for their careers. I'm saying a guard who can shoot very well, fits off ball with Kawhi and Paul George, who are a little bit more dominant, and can play better defense at this point than Reggie Jackson could. That would be a, a very good addition for the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, is that information that is worth playing on at this point right now? No, because the Los Angeles Clippers can't really stay healthy, which is kind of annoying. Um, but I would like, you know, as I've said on this podcast many times and to many shows and to many people, I part of me still, of course, believes in the Los Angeles Clippers. I, I have invested in them multiple times at different prices. But I can also kind of get behind the thought process of somebody not really buying in anymore, just given the fact that it was Raheem Palmer. Was Raheem Palmer on the Action Network? Uh, excuse me, not the Action Network. doesn't work there anymore. Uh, the Ringer, who I've had on the podcast a couple of times. Really good guy. Um, you can follow him on Twitter. I think he mentioned, too, he's like, I'm out. Like, you can't do this anymore with the Clippers. You, you know, you can't do this right now at this point. They've been so inconsistent. The bodies aren't there. You totally get it. You totally get it. Um, but if they were to get Mike Conley, it's a piece that they really need. It really, really fits. And I think that would make a lot of sense for them. That is not a futures move that... If they get Mike Conley, are they going to adjust the odds from like 10 or 11 to 1 where they're at right now to like 950? I would say probably not. But that's a move that if it is made, I think that's worth investing in a future price on the Clippers if it is indeed made, if that is going to be the case. Here are three reasons Zinn is America's number one nicotine pouch. We use food-grade ingredients. We have a wide selection of varieties, and they all come in two strengths. Find Zinn at a store near you. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. 
Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. All right, so let's hit on a couple of other things before we get out of here. And uh, the first thing I wanted to uh, touch on very quickly are the Brooklyn Nets. So we have a couple of games now, and we're going to get one more later today. We're recording this on Tuesday, so we're going to get one more later today for the San Antonio Spurs taking on the Brooklyn Nets. Um, But we have a couple of games now of the Brooklyn Nets without Kevin Durant. So we have some early returns, and it's a small sample size, but it's very much worth hitting on. Uh, First of which is... All right, offensive rating for the Brooklyn Nets since they lost Kevin Durant, 104.2 per 100 possessions. They have shot 44% from the floor in those contests. Kyrie Irving has been uh, pretty inefficient as the team's lone shot creator, which is, I think, kind of what we expected, not that Irving to be inefficient, but just a team that is struggling to score because if you really look at their roster, they don't have a lot of offensive shot creators outside of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Kyrie Irving in the two games since he's been injured, 38 minutes apiece, 9 of 24, 37.5% if you're doing the math, against the Boston Celtics, shot 3 of 11 from three-point range, scored 24 points. So high volume, low efficiency, and uh, 15 points on 7 of 20 shooting against the Oklahoma City Thunder. They lost both games. They failed to cover both games, and both games went under the total. So I think... Again, we get a, a little bit of a, an experiment here against San Antonio. The Spurs have not been playing very good defense at all. As I mentioned in the piece this morning, when it comes to San Antonio, 123.4 points per 100 possessions over their last 11 games. It hasn't been very good defensively. So, sure, there's maybe a probably a universe in which Kyrie Irving busts out here and shoots the ball extremely well at a high-efficiency clip and comes out and this offense looks a little bit better. But I think over the larger sample size now here for Brooklyn, it's that this is going to be a team that I think is going to fit that profile, especially when you look at what the market has been kind of hanging up there uh, when it comes to totals. On Sunday, when they took on the um, Oklahoma City Thunder, that was a game that ended up closing 230.5, 231.0 in some spots. First quarter total of 57 and a half. Uh, that game obviously went very much under the total. Against Boston, that total closed 225 in some spots. That game went under the total. And in fact, the last five games for Brooklyn have gone under the total and seven out of the last eight. So there was a run of the overs for this team for quite a while. But as this team has continued to improve defensively, they have been a little bit more of an under team. So I think that is probably what we're going to continue to see here. And their defensive numbers since losing Durant have been average. Um, I think we're talking about, let's see, 114.2. Yeah, 114.2 points for 100 possessions allowed in non-garbage time minutes. So again, that's about average in non-garbage time with what we've seen from them. So this is as like a, a day-to-day betting um, a uh, observation. Wow, I couldn't think of the word observation. Uh, as a day-to-day betting observation, what we're going to start tracking here now is if these unders continue to come in for the Brooklyn Nets and if the market is going to start to really adjust here. Because again, as I mentioned today, uh, against San Antonio, we had an opening total of 235 on the overnight. And again, you kind of get it to a certain extent. But th- that seems to me at least to be more of a total of the Kevin Durant-led Brooklyn Nets as opposed to the the version of the Brooklyn Nets that have uh, taken the floor over the last couple of games. And keep in mind, too, for Brooklyn, th- this should be noted, and I think this really ties into what we've seen here, uh, the Nets are not a fast team by any sense in terms of pace this season, they are 22nd in the NBA at 90, what are we at, 98.5? Let me double check this. Uh, 98.77 possessions 
per game. So they're not a team that gets up and down the floor anyway to begin with. And um, it hasn't really shifted much. I mean, you can make the argument they've slowed down a little bit over the last two games. I mean, think about this. In the game against the Oklahoma City Thunder, let me double check, because over the last two games, the two games without Kevin Durant, this has been a team that has averaged 97 possessions per game. Against Oklahoma City, a team that wants to run and get up and down the floor as often as possible is not the best half-court offense in any sense, except when Shea Gilgis Alexander has the ball and he's creating everything on his own. That was a game that only had 99 possessions. So they even slowed down the Oklahoma City Thunder and got to play their style of basketball. So as we kind of move forward and we watch this Brooklyn Nets team, unless we're going to see some really big adjustments, and the market again did it today by pushing that from 235 down to 232, I think you're going to start to see these totals start to drop a little bit. But until there's a notable adjustment, I think it might be time to start looking at uh, consistently looking to bet these overnight totals on Brooklyn, barring any injuries, because Nick Claxton's a big part of this. Royce O'Neal's a big part of it. Ben Simmons is a big part of it. Their ability to defend. That's going to be something that I think is an angle to very much follow when it comes to the Brooklyn Nets and the way that they have been playing uh, as of late without Kevin Durant. And I think they're still going to be fine. Like, again, the last two games, once you get, like, Kyrie Irving um, back into the – not even back into the mix because he's been in the mix – once he gets into a little bit of a flow as being the main shot creator, things will start to work for him again. He's going to be a high-volume guy, and there's probably going to be some odd nights in terms of efficiency. We saw it each of the last two games for them. Um, but I think they're going to be fine in the standpoint of they'll they'll tread water until Kevin Durant gets back. But this is going to be a slower team and a, um, a lower-scoring team, I would think, until Kevin Durant comes back there'll be some spikes obviously there always is right we always talk about those but uh not so much uh from the rest of the uh, for maybe a, a larger sample size we should also know too as you kind of look around right because when you lose guys the question always becomes like okay who then is outside of the dude who's going to step up we know that Kyrie Irving was going to take a lot more shots who was going to be the recipient of this increased workload um in terms of shot volume and whatnot it's been a little inconsistent as to who's that. Again, it's only two games. So you kind of thought it would be TJ Warren, right? In that first game, it looked like it. Against uh, against the Celtics, TJ Warren had 18 shot attempts in that game, second only to Kyrie Irving, who had 23. Uh, but Warren only had eight against Oklahoma City in the follow-up game. And the uh, the, the second-leading uh, attempt or attempt getter, uh, shooter, whatever, uh, is Seth Curry. Seth Curry took 15 attempts from the floor. He scored 23 points. And, and maybe that is worth, like, maybe it's going to be one of the two. Maybe it's going to change. But I would really circle TJ Warren here. Warren is a good mid-range scorer. He's a guy who can kind of score in isolation or at least tries to, has the ability to. He's only been on the floor for 18 games, but he's performed pretty, uh, pretty well for them up to this point. I would circle TJ Warren when you're looking at some of these player props for the Brooklyn Nets. I, I wonder if this is going to be one where we're starting to see TJ Warren kind of emerge as the guy, the second guy for the Brooklyn Nets as opposed to a Seth Curry type. But I feel safe in saying it's either him or Seth Curry um, and maybe not looking anywhere else. And from a point total standpoint for player props, TJ Warren uh, against the San Antonio Spurs, so we'll keep track of this today, 13.5, the point total prop, 12.5 for Seth Curry. So Brooklyn, obviously going to be a team to watch as we move forward. I also wanted to say very quickly, kind of an irritating thing that happened. Man, got NBA the other day. And it's always been something that I've brought up in the past, but it's definitely worth like reiterating, of course, which is just just make sure about these injuries. Like even guys the the other day where I bet this Indiana Pacers team total under, 
And Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's listed as probable, and this leads us into what I wanted to talk about, Giannis Antetokounmpo listed as probable, and he ends up still missing the game, and they rule him out. I I was amazed. I would lie. I would be lying if I were to say that that did not annoy me beyond all means, seeing that that had actually happened. And the fact that now I have to confirm whether or not guys are going to play, even if they're listed as probable. And here's the thing, and this is the conspiracy part of me. I mean, part of me thinks that something happened that made it worse because he was listed as probable yesterday. He ends up getting ruled out. And then now, as today, on the second leg of a back-to-back, he didn't play yesterday, he's already listed as out. So, I don't know if something happened where he aggravated this knee injury. I don't know why he would be listed as probable, sit the game, and then still be ruled out immediately the second the injury report comes up for this matchup with Toronto. It's really weird. But Milwaukee, man, I, like it ties into, and I didn't really just want to talk specifically about Milwaukee, but just the Eastern Conference as a whole. And we are, look, the NBA season is a drag. Like it's it's hard on these guys. And these lineups are getting more and more volatile in terms of availability on a night-to-night basis. These injury reports are crowded. It is hard to see who is going to play, who is going to be available. So you don't want to read too much into what you've seen here. But as you just look at the Eastern Conference as a whole, and you see you know, the Boston Celtics, you know, they're fine. They're playing good basketball. They're at the top of the conference. They now have a four-and-a-half game lead over Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and the others for the top seed in the East. But Kevin Durant has been injured. We know that. Milwaukee cannot stay healthy. Chris Middleton continues to miss time. Giannis now, of course, with this knee issue that is keeping him out now. This will be his uh, fourth straight game, I believe it is. I don't want to say a team like Cleveland you might want to start to buy into more, but, I mean, we're talking about the second-best point differential in the Eastern Conference right now, the Cleveland Cavaliers, one of the best defenses in the NBA. I don't love their offense at all. Like, there's no depth to this offense, really when it comes to creation, right outside of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. We saw it. Donovan Mitchell has had some heroic games over the last couple of weeks, and he has needed to because Darius Garland was not on the floor for them. Um, For a couple of those, I should know. But still, you understand what my point is. And Ricky Rubio is going to be on his way back, and that is a really big deal for a team and I think desperately needs you know depth at guard and another ball handler to create offense for them. Um, But, man, it's going to be... uh, I shouldn't say coming back, by the way. Ricky Rubio did. I think he returned on. uh, Actually, he returned on Monday. What am I talking about? Um, So we'll see, man. We'll see. Sorry, I did not get to that. uh, The Cavaliers game yet. Um, But the Eastern Conference seems a little bit more wide open than it did at the beginning of the year. I feel better about my Philly uh, to win the NBA Finals ticket as we kind of go along as Philly continues to play some decent basketball and, and, you know, maintain its level even through some of them absences from Joel Embiid and others. So the Eastern Conference, it's kind of breaking down as a really interesting um, affair. And that doesn't even include the New York Knicks, who all of a sudden continue to uh, rip wins off left and right, playing tremendously on both ends of the floor. Jalen Brunson, how about this angle that was brought up to me? Um, I, I don't, I can't remember if this was a secret or not. So I will exclusively say that this is not my idea in any way, shape, or form. But I also will not say who brought this up to me because I, I don't want to. I can't remember. There were drinks involved, so I cannot remember if this was something I'm not supposed to say or not. So I'll just bring it up and say it was not my idea. But we, as we look around in these awards markets, and we're always looking, always looking for dudes to bet on and long shots and whatnot, Jalen Brunson has quietly escalated to the third choice to win most improved player. He is now 14 to 1 to win most improved. To give you some of the numbers in terms of where he was and where he's at now, 
He's gone from 16.3 points to 22.4 points per game. Shooting's down, but higher volume. 12.8 field goal attempts to 17.2. His assists are up from 4.8 per game to 6.3. Three-point shooting's up from 37.3 last year, 39.4 this year, and on one and a half more three-point attempts per game. And his efficiency numbers, like if you want to look at some of the other metrics for Brunson, to give you an idea, again, the efficiency is down. But his usage is way up from 23.8% to 29.5%. His assist rate up 23.8% to 29.7%. Turnover rate's actually down despite handling the ball more and having more usage. Most improved is a really weird category. And my guy Tyrese Halliburton, because he got hurt all of a sudden now, is at 18 to 1. And I feel like I've lost that ticket, and that sucks because Halliburton's been freaking phenomenal. But if you look at this, Will he be able to upend Shea Gilgis Alexander? Probably not, maybe. But if he's the best player on a top four seed in the Eastern Conference, which is still a possibility for the New York Knickerbockers, as you look at them right now, they are the eighth, sixth seed right now, and they are three games back from the four. Again, with about 38-ish games to play, wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. So we'll just leave you with that. Shop around. Maybe you can get a better number on Jalen Brunson. But Brunson has been the quiet mover up the most improved board at 14-1. to 1. Oh, and before we get out of here, I teased this, and I, I was going to totally forget. Um, this is just a quick pat on the back, but it's something we talked about. The market's starting to buy in. Oklahoma City Thunder, I spent the last episode trying to convince Kelly. Dude, come on, invest. Let's go. This is it. Uh, they're going to make a push, whatever it is. Hope you got in on it. They were 10 to 1 when we talked about it in the episode a few days ago. They are now plus 270 participating in the West Play and over at DraftKings. So uh, I will not lie. Maybe the corporate overlords are uh, are listening and just like, hey, you know what? We should probably adjust that. I don't know. Maybe somebody hit it and it, wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with me. But either way, coincidence that it moved right after we talked about it, perhaps. Uh, either way, it is now up to uh, plus 270 for the Oklahoma City Thunder to participate in the West Play in. I like that team, man. That team's a lot of fun. You should watch them a lot more if you haven't. All right. We'll tell you, uh, we're all done. Uh, next, uh, at the end of the week, Kelly Bidlin, of course, will join us. We have a lot to get to with Kelly over the next couple of days. Good slate tonight, including a uh, potential rematch or uh, revenge, potential revenge, I should say, for the Los Angeles Clippers who are taking on the Philadelphia 76ers. Short slate, but a good slate. So can't wait to see that, recap that, and more when we talk with Kelly later this week. Remember, like, rate, review, subscribe, and also a reminder for everybody, too, please, 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 Check out our VSIN special, $9.99. It gets you everything that we do up on the website. Check that out today at vsin.com slash subscribe. You get into our betting tools, pro tools, pro picks, and more, and uh, a lot of good other stuff, too. We'll talk to you at the end of the week with Kelly Bidlin. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic, every home run, every hit, every inning, every play, from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar, whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. <laughs> 